Thank you so much, Bethany. All right, Luke chapter 2, if you want to turn to it, we'll get you started. Luke chapter 2, and we'll be jumping to several different sections this morning so we get the full picture of what took place in Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, let's read the first six verses. You can follow along. And it came to pass in those days, thank you so much, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Basically, uh, some of you will see the word taxed, which, of course, government work. That's what they do. So uh, the census took place first when Quirinius was a governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David. Now, most of you remember King David from your Old Testament, but to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary's betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And let's bow for a moment and ask the Lord to touch. Father, we pray now that as we spend a few minutes looking at this wonderful, wonderful, miraculous uh, birth of Jesus that took place some 2,000 years ago, Lord, it's just as meaningful, just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Thank you for the wonderful reminder of these truths that we had in music. Thank you for the wonderful testimony of Nancy that uh, some years ago when you touched her and made her aware of her need to trust Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And Father, many of us here today have made that decision to place our faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning or watching on the internet that's never done that, they don't know for sure if they died, they go to heaven. Lord, might they find Jesus today 2,000 years after his birth, after his burial and his resurrection, may they find him today. So, Father, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you take a look at the map, uh, you look to the northern part, and most of you are familiar probably a little bit with uh, a map of Israel and the lookings of it. So, that's pretty much it. So, when you go up to Nazareth, which is, of course, where Mary and Joseph were, were from, they get this wonderful news. Mary is with child, big time with child. And now all of a sudden they get this wonderful news from the government, a little sarcastic tone meant. They get this wonderful news from the government that we need you to come down to basically your home place, your home city to be registered. Now folks, think about that for a minute. If you've never been to the land of Israel, I've had the pleasure of being there many times. It's not quite like uh, taking a walk down the road on Highway 45 out here, or Highway 11, nice and smooth and wonderful, and you can see ahead of yourself. It's rocky, it's stony, the, ro the roads are difficult. And oh, oh yeah, by the way, there were no motorcycles, no mopeds, no cars, no buses. There was only uh, uh, whatever animal they might have had. And uh, Mary and Joseph, her being great with child, begin to come down towards Bethlehem, which you'll see at the bottom of the screen. So as they travel the 92 miles just to get to Jerusalem, and that's, that's a significant walk for anyone. I mean, that's a lot. 92 miles with a pregnant wife all the way down to Jerusalem. And then about five miles south of Jerusalem is actually where Bethlehem is. And again, if you come to the Sunday school hour, I'll show you more pictures about that. 
But some wonderful, marvelous things took place that were portrayed here this morning that sometimes we miss the intricacies of them. So I want to talk for a few moments. We talked about those shepherds that were out in the field. And I want to take you, and some of you have heard this, I want to add this very, very important piece to our message this morning in understanding what happened in Scripture. Remember those shepherds that are out in the field and all of a sudden there's an appearance of an angel to them and speaks to them. That is a massively important piece of God's prophetic word and of, of what is taking place here. So I want to pause for a moment. We're going to go to Micah 4.8 in just a moment. And we're going to talk about a place called the Tower of the Flock. This is, if you go to Bethlehem, and it's still, the, the shepherd's field still exists today in Bethlehem. When you go to the shepherd's fields, and there was this, what looked, of course, that's uh, an ancient ruin now. But there's a place where the shepherds would come, and they basically, they could look out over the, the, the flock, make sure they were in good shape, make sure if there were any type of uh, animals or robbers and so forth that they could be caught. But it was so much more deep than that. And this is, of course, a modern-day picture, and uh, it's still pretty much the way it is with uh, some folks out in the hill country of Bethlehem, uh, some of the, the Arab folks and so forth still dress in the old-fashioned uh, garb. But again, we want to find out what was taking place when we talk about this from Scripture. Micah chapter 4, verse 8, and says this, And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, speaking of Jerusalem, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. We're talking about this place in Hebrew called Migdal Adar, Migdal Adar. So on occasion you might hear those terms of somebody speaking. It's really the Hebrew for what? The tower of the flock. Now why is that important? Well, it's very important because one of the miracles and the signs that God gives to these shepherds is extremely important. It took place right in Bethlehem at this place called the Tower of the Flock or Migdal Eder. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 gives us another prophecy regarding this event. And here it spells it out. It's a little easier to understand. And Micah the prophet says, but you... Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one. Now catch the capitalization here, it's appropriate. The one or Jesus to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Micah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus come that something very, very important was going to take place in this place called Bethlehem that you just heard the wonderful music regarding. Now, Ephrata was the city or the territory of David, King David. And we know from uh, what's called the Davidic Covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 7, that Jesus had to come from the line of whom? From the line of David. And here's the documentation as to how that took place. Well, let's jump ahead from the Old Testament to the fulfillment of this wonderful prophecy in Luke chapter 2. And the Bible says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Very familiar part of the Christmas story. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, 
and they were greatly afraid. Well, folks, I don't know about you, but if I saw some type of an angelic being show up, I think I might be a little startled at the minimum. And uh, probably like these shepherds, I don't know, I couldn't be afraid. I'd probably be afraid, right? (laughs) I mean, it's just a startling thing that all of a sudden out in the middle of the field where nothing else takes place, quiet Bethlehem fields, all of a sudden this astounding appearance takes place by a literal angel. Then the angel said to them, tries to calm them down. Isn't that good? I mean, you think about what God wants to do for people and what uh, his uh, angels, if you will, want to do for people. Immediately, what's he do? Calm down down. It's okay. Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So we have this uh, uh, angelic appearance that comes to these shepherds. Now, some of you know the punchline here about who these shepherds are, and some of you will learn today who these very, very specific shepherds were in God's program. Why does the angel appear to these, what are normally looked at as these humble little shepherds out there doing their little thing, watching the sheep and trying to protect them? Well, because it was a whole lot deeper than that. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David. What's the city of David? Bethlehem, right? We've just... uh, uh, had a whole program regarding this wonderful city. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is what? Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for, the one the Jewish people had been waiting for. The Messiah is here. And this will be the what? The sign. And it's a marvelous sign. And here's what many folks miss. What is the sign? Well, it seems just kind of whatever. Well, here's the sign. But think about this, and then we're going to explain to you exactly what this means. And this will be the sign to you. You will find, number one, a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, it's like, well, first of all, what are swaddling clothes? It's not something we often talk about here. Basically, swaddling clothes are kind of, in our vernacular, kind of old kind of rags or tattered uh, garments or strips of cloth. And they're going to wrap whoever this babe is in these, if you will, swaddling clothes. And number two, very unusual, the baby will be lying in what? A manger, a place meant for people or for animals? It's meant for animals. So we've got this really interesting scenario that we're going to have a baby wrapped up in these kind of rag-like substances and they're actually instead of being in a normal home or a normal bed or a little crib it's going to be in a manger very weird now that on itself gets people's attention it's like okay well that's interesting but and unusual but okay so be it but it still gets much deeper than that exodus chapter 12 verse 5 Going back to the Old Testament, the Old Torah, first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, the Passover lamb. Now let's go back to a lamb and get away from Jesus for just a moment because we're going to talk about a sacrifice that's to come. The Passover lamb, your lamb shall be what? Without blemish. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. 
First Peter, now going back to the New Testament, expands on this concept about the Passover lamb that took place back in Exodus. Knowing, Christian, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. How were you redeemed if you're a Christian? Or how can you be redeemed if you've never trusted Christ? Well, here it is. How do you get to heaven? How do you get your sins forgiven? And the Bible says, but with the what? The precious blood of Christ as of a what? A lamb without blemish and without spot. You say, all right, I'm starting to see a little pattern here between the lamb and between Christ, the Passover lamb. Do you remember what the Passover was? Let me take you back to when the Jewish people were in Egypt in bondage for some 430 years. And all of a sudden, the deliverer comes, uh, uh, Moses, and he does a bunch of miracles, and Pharaoh's hearts harden. And all of a sudden, the one miracle that God did, which got the attention of Pharaoh, was the Passover. So God uh, basically uh, made it clear to all the Jewish people, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a lamb. And I want you to take that lamb, and I want you to basically kill it, slit its throat, let the blood come out. And I want you to take that blood, and I want you to take a branch of hyssop, and I want you to take it, and I want you to put the blood around the doorpost of your home. All the Egyptians who refused to put the blood on the doorpost, their firstborn will die. But for you, the Jewish people, if you do as I've commanded you, you take the blood and put it around the doorpost, I will pass over you. That's where the Passover comes from. So the Jewish people, in obedience to God, take the lamb, they uh, uh, kill the lamb, they shed its blood, and they take the blood and put it around the doorpost. And indeed, as God had promised, all the Jewish people who had put the blood on around the doorposts of their home when the, if you will, the death angel comes through, God passed over them. However, for every single person in the Egyptian families that refused to put the blood on the doorpost, their firstborn was killed, including Pharaoh's son. Now that's devastating. It's horrible. It's terrible. But God used that picture now for us. And God said, now I've taken the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. I put him, my son, on the cross. His blood was shed to pay for your sins and to protect you from an eternity in an awful place called the lake of fire or hell. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 spells it out. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Now, if you take a look at the picture, there's a strong correlation now between that little Passover lamb, between the lamb that God used or that the, the people would use to be in a right relationship with Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that relationship and how does that come back to the shepherds? Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. So it was. And again, we're in the heart of Bethlehem right now. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her, Mary, to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
Now let me pull it together for you, and it's an amazing, marvelous thing. Why did that angel appear to the shepherd out in the field? Well, you see, I, I made mention that the Jerusalem was how far from Bethlehem? About five miles, not a long walk in those days for those people. Those fields were where the priestly shepherds kept watch over the lambs that would be sacrificed for the people. The tower of the flock, Migdalator, out of you shall come one that will one day rule the world, which is coming in the future, and we won't get into that today. One who will basically restore the kingdom that started back when God created the heavens and the earth. Man rebelled against him. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and sin ever since has been the dominant force in the world. And the angel appears to these priestly shepherds who were watching over the flock to make sure that they were not blemished, that they were not harm, but they were kept perfect, if you will, to be sacrificed five miles up the road in Jerusalem. So when the little lambs were born, boy, bam, we got to get to work. This wasn't like let the baby, let the lamb be born and we just, yeah, you know, it'll be fine. No, they grab the little lamb, they pick it up, they embrace that little lamb, just like we looked at back here. They take that lamb and then they begin to wrap it in swaddling clothes. And then they lay it in a very specific place to make sure that little baby lamb is not hurt. Why? Because it's going to grow up. It has to be without spot, without blemish, perfect. You don't offer God's second choice back in the Old Testament when they did sacrifices. So these priestly shepherds, when they're standing there, and the angel says, listen, I'm going to give you guys a sign. Here's what's going to happen. Do you know how you take up your little baby lamb and you wrap it in swaddling clothes and you lay it a manger to make sure it's not hurt? Yeah, yeah, we understand that. We do it, we do it constantly. And God says, well, there's going to be a baby coming that's going to be treated just like a sacrificial lamb. So uh, uh, Mary and Joseph, they head down from uh, uh, Nazareth, 97 miles. They get to Bethlehem. All of a sudden, it's time for her to deliver the Christ child, the one who must be without spot, without blemish, perfectly sinless. And they get to that place, and they're like, there's a baby in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. That's the one. The one. Why? Because nobody else would have done that. But because there's no room at the inn, Jesus was born just like a sacrificial lamb. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream, saying, and this is before uh, they, they made their trek down to uh, Bethlehem, right when Mary was pregnant. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Absolutely important that they understood that Jesus was going to be born of what type of a lady. Nothing like this has ever happened in history before, nor will it ever happen again. Jesus was born of a what? A virgin. Why is that important? And many of you know the, the answer to this. Why was it important that Jesus be born of a virgin? Well, let me take you very quickly back to Genesis. 
in Genesis, God made a very specific command to Adam, actually right before Eve was even formed. And God told Adam specifically, listen, buddy, I want you to eat, drink, and enjoy what we've got here, but I'm going to tell you what, do not touch that one tree. Don't eat from it. Don't go near it. Leave it alone. One simple command that God gave to Adam, and Adam blew it. Eve, of course, is tempted by Satan. Eve eats the forbid from the forbidden tree. Eve then says, hey, big boy, this is good stuff. Have a, have a bite. And he does, and he succumbs against God's will. And God comes back to Adam and says, listen, from now on, every single person, that's, you're, you're basically, you're condemned to death now. You're going to die physically. And every person that doesn't trust in the coming Messiah, which now had to come, they will perish and go to an awful place called the lake of fire or hell. How is sin transmitted to you? Why are, you say, Brother Rich, uh, you sound pretty critical here calling me a sinner. Folks, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. You can't escape it. Here's why. Because I have a human father. I am a sinner. That's just the Bible. The Bible says, wherefore is by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men and women because all of what? Sinned. Jesus had to be born of a virgin or he would have been born a what? A sinner. So that's the importance of why Mary had to be a, a, a virgin when she conceived of Christ. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin, this is Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 700 years before this took place, the prophet gave us that information. All right, we're done. But you're not done. Let me ask you the most important question based on everything that's taken place here this morning. If you, not your neighbor, not your spouse, not your children right now, think about you. I want you to be selfish for a moment, okay? It's okay. I want you to think about you. If you were to die today, this very moment, some tragedy happened and this is, this is it, where would you go? Where would you go? Well, most people say, well, you know, I've tried to be good. I've tried to done right. I I'm hoping, you know, I'm here at church today. I think I've made brownie points with God. I should be good. Folks, it's not going to work. Most of us have gone to church all our life, and we have heard over and over and over again by so many different denominational things and churches and religions, if you try your best, you should make it. And God says that's total antithesis to his word. Now let's think about it. How can you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? And I'm going to give you four very, very quick things here. It'll only take a minute or two. But I need you to listen. Number one, the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. You can't avoid it. We just went through how that happened. If you got a daddy, you're a sinner passed on to you. Second thing the Bible says, Romans 6.23, the wages or what we've earned because we've sinned is death. Now that's just not the physical death. 
And I point down because usually the casket sits right here. Every single one of us, barring an event called the rapture, which I'm not going to get into today, is going to physically die. You will die someday. But where are you going to go? You see, every single person in here is going to live for eternity in one of two places. You can't avoid it. It's like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to go in the grave and that's the end. No, it's not the end. You can try and talk yourself out of the reality that you're going to live forever, but you are going to live forever. Yes, you're going to die physically, but the Bible also talks about a second death. The second death is what's known as the spiritual death. Now, we die physically, but whether you have, are spiritually alive or are spiritually dead when you breathe your last, that's going to determine where you spend eternity. And this is not joke. It's not, it's not uh, out of a hymnal. It's not out of some book except this book right here, God's Word. Now, let me explain it to you. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8 says this, that every single person without Christ will spend their lake in the or spend their eternity in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. Yeah, that sounds like that old fundamentalist hellfire and brimstone preaching. Well, I don't know what it sounds like, but I know what the Word says. You can't escape it. Revelation 21.8, all those without Jesus Christ will spend an eternity in the lake which burns without fire and brimstone. But Jesus said, that's not what I want for you. I want you in heaven with me. So he said, I provided a way. I provided a sacrifice. And there it is. Jesus Christ, God's son, born in Bethlehem, 33 years later, walks into Jerusalem, carrying a cross, beat up, smashed, slandered, erroneously convicted of false charges. He goes up on that cross and willingly gave his... You couldn't take the life from Jesus. He gave it. He dies, is buried, and three days later... He rises victorious from the grave. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, folks, it's decision time. And only you can make that decision. I, can't, I wish I could make it for everybody because I know the right one to make, but you've got to make it yourself. I can't do it for you. One final verse. Here's a promise that God's given to every single person in this room this morning, and he's given to every single person in the world in the last thousands of years. Are you ready? For God so loved the world. You heard it recited a few minutes ago. For God so loved the world, that's each and every one of us, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, anyone who would believe in him, his death, burial and resurrection should not perish or if you will go to that horrible place called the eternal lake of fire should not perish but have everlasting life with him for by grace God's free unmerited gift are you saved saved from sin saved from the penalty of sin for by grace are you saved through faith and it is not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of our works, lest any person should boast. What does that mean? It means if you're trying to get to heaven by anything that you're doing on your own, God says, no go, no go. My son died for you. Don't discount what Jesus did for you. Born in Bethlehem, a little baby, 
cute as can be. Grew up some 33 years. Take him out of the manger right now in your life. Put him on the cross because that's why he came to give his life to pay for our sins. Father, thank you for your love for us. Lord, what a wonderful, wonderful morning it's been. What a wonderful presentation of the coming of Christ. And Father, I pray now that we wouldn't get myopic and look at this just as a simple, cute little baby that came and that we can all rejoice and give presents on Christmas regarding. But Father, there's a very, very specific reason why Jesus came. You told us that in Luke 19.10 that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came to seek and to save those who are lost. So, Father, I pray now as we close, every single person here that's already placed their faith and trust in Christ, might we renew our love for you even today to live for you just like Nancy had so wonderfully given to us this morning. For the rest that may be here this morning, let me talk while our heads are bowed to you very quickly. Be honest now. This is your eternal destiny, not something to play with. If you're to die right now, where would you go? You say, Brother Rich, I know, I just, I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't want to do this, but I know I need to right now. And you're right, you need to. Right there where you are, it's time to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior or face a horrible, horrible ending the day you breathe your last. Folks, Jesus loves you. God loves you. This pastor, even though I don't know you, I'm trying to love you the best way I can by telling you the truth. Are you ready to trust Christ this morning? Are you ready to change your life? Are you ready to stop trying to do it yourself? If that's you this morning, here's what I'd like you to do with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. Would you by faith receive that free gift right now? You say, well, how do I do it? It's by faith. Put your faith in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's Son. That's what the requirement is. You say, well, I do believe in Jesus. I do believe he came down from heaven. I do believe that he died on the cross, and I do believe that he rose again. Well, then now take, his, now take that gift that he's got for you. Reach out and take it, the free gift of eternal life, by giving, by placing your faith and trust in him. If that's you this morning, I'm going to say a little prayer in just a moment. The prayer is not what's going to save you, but maybe if you're trusting Jesus this morning, Maybe it's time that you'd realize that and say, ah, I want to thank God for what he's done. So I'm going to give you a little prayer of thanksgiving. It's, it's, uh, again, it's your faith that saves you, not the prayer. But let's, uh, if, if it's you this morning, you can pray silently me, with me in your heart. Maybe you want to thank God something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But right now, this very moment, I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for my eternal life. Thank you for coming down from heaven. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for giving your life and rising again from the dead three days later. And I indeed, by faith, accept that free gift of eternal life. Father, we ask that you'd seal decisions this morning. Thank you for this wonderful, encouraging time. And all God's people 